Welcome to the West Side Audio Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. And if you're looking for more ways to connect with West Side Assembly of God, feel free to check us out at www.westsideag.org. You'll find all the information about our service times, upcoming events, and opportunities for you to plug in and get connected with West Side Assembly of God. Additionally, you'll find a complete online archive of all of the previous and current messages absolutely free of charge. We hope you are encouraged by this week's message, and thanks again for downloading the West Side Audio Message Podcast. In the fifth verse, he says, Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last times. Now that would be the Jews he's writing to. But this is the type of scripture that we can relate to. And because it's in general talking about the salvation that we all have and the hope that we all have and the provision that Jesus Christ made for all. And so put yourself in that place when Peter is writing and saying, you who are kept by the power of God, I am kept by the power of God. Through faith, unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Obviously, he's speaking to somebody very specific. He's speaking to specific circumstances. These people... He has written to being scattered and persecuted. He realizes some of them have been in great trial. But I've been in great trial. You've been in great trial. And so we relate to this. We see other people to whom this was written. But what does Peter have to say about people who go through great trials? He says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while... You've been grieved by various trials that the trial of your faith. My title for my sermon is the caveat of Christianity. In other words, it comes with a warning for those of you who may have entered into this walk with God, this relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know what you were told when you got into this. I don't know what you... thought you were getting into. But the fact of the matter is there's a warning that comes with walking with Jesus Christ and that is when you begin to walk with Him, your faith in Him is going to be tested again and again and again. Now if anybody got into this thinking I'm getting rid of all of my troubles... What you were getting rid of is the struggles outside of God for which you have no spiritual resource. You'll deal with your struggles on your own with the help of whatever friends may help you. But you'll face difficulties trying to serve God. Your faith is going to be tested. And it's interesting to me that this is the first epistle that Peter writes and this is almost the first thought that comes out of his, his heart, his mind, in his first epistle, is writing to the people and saying, you have great hope, but you're going to suffer. 
Now that's the caveat. If you're going to live for God, your faith will be tested. The trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Very short verse. But there's some thoughts in there that we're going to magnify before I'm done with this sermon. And I want to give you the amplified version. I don't even think I put that on the screen. Perhaps I did. I don't know. Mark can find out. The amplified version says, Who being guarded or garrisoned by God's power through your faith till you fully inherit the final salvation that is ready to be revealed for you in the last time. You should be exceedingly glad on this account, though now for a little while you may be distressed by trials and suffer temptations. So that the genuineness, and that's, that's in brackets. How many of you use the Amplified Version from time to time? Do you use it? Not many. Get it. Because what they do is they take a word in there and they amplify that word. They put synonyms in there. It's almost like, sometimes it's almost like reading uh, the thesaurus. But it amplifies it and the verse grows of, a verse of any length almost gets twice as long sometimes because of the way that they keep trying to bring out these thoughts. So here is the phrase they put in there, the genuineness of your faith, that, that's a substitute for the trial of your faith, the genuineness of your faith may be tested. Your faith, which is infinitely more precious than the perishable gold, which is tested and purified by fire, this proving of your faith, is intended to redound to your praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ, the Messiah and anointed one, is revealed. Now, I, I, I hope that brought out some stuff for you. I know it's kind of wordy. But what the Amplified did is it really emphasized the fact that Peter is saying your faith is going to be tested, your faith is valuable after it's tested, and your faith is going to be a benefit to you when Jesus comes if you pass the test. This is not probably the most exciting news anybody wants to hear on a Sunday morning in a sermon. As you come to church and you're ready to be fed and the pastor gets up and says, as a part of this package deal of serving God, you're going to go through some harsh trials. Amen. Let's all go home. But you know what? We, I have a responsibility to warn you of the truth. Many of the most popular books that are being written today the best-selling books in Christianity are feel-goody books. They want to tell you how great life can be in God. And that's true. Life can be great. Sometimes they stretch the truth a little bit, telling you things that the Bible doesn't promise you about God. But things that make people feel good about themselves, that sells. And it's not always that they're wrong in what they say, but there's an imbalanced message here if we don't stop and say, what is this all about? Not just what is this partly about, but as much as I would even preach a sermon myself telling you that there's no better life than to serve Jesus Christ and let Him take control of your life and your plans. There's no better life than that. I also have to be honest and say, brace yourself, you're going to be tested. 
Your faith will be tried. That's the first point we're going to put down. You have started your journey with Christ, and you're being alerted today, if never before, that your faith in Jesus Christ is going to be put to the test. In other words, there will be something happen in your life that the enemy will use that to cause you to say, I don't even know if I want to serve God anymore, if that's the way it's going to be. That's the testing of your faith. Or the enemy will use that to put doubt on your mind to say, if this happens, there must not be a God, because I can't believe that God would allow this to happen to me. To let bitterness, resentment come in. Or to say, it's just too hard. I didn't have this much trouble before I ever started serving God. All my troubles came after I started serving Him. And you get discouraged and you quit. But your faith will be tested. You're here today. You call yourself a Christian. You can tell the time whenever you made your start for Christ. You're learning about Him. Or maybe you've already grown for five years or ten years or whatever. But until you pass from this life into the next and stand in the presence of God, you're going to be tested. Spurgeon says... Your faith is a vessel that is built to sail the seas and face the storms. It is not intended to sit in a dock and suffer from dry rot. Your faith is built for the storm. That's what its purpose is. It's to carry you to face the battles. That's what faith is. Faith that has not been tried is obviously unproven faith your faith is weak until it's been hardened and proven by the trials and you're not ready for service until your faith has been proven in the closing of the last supper christ was distributing the cup of blessing and he at that moment you would have to read it again to catch it because it's something we don't see and we don't remember reading the account. But read it. And in those closing moments of that supper, distributing the cup, he said, the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. Now you probably, now that I read that, you say, yeah, I remember that. This caused the people sitting at the table with Jesus Christ to begin to speculate about who this person was. Can you just see these men? Jesus said, one of you is a traitor. And so they all began to point. I knew it was you. I knew it. I could tell the moment I met you. You're no good. Well, it's not me. It must be you. And they're all speculating. And then it turned from speculating about who the traitor was into defending themselves about it could not possibly be me. It can't be me. I'm loyal. I'm faithful. I'm a couple of notches above everybody in this room. And Jesus heard them not only accusing and speculating and saw them pointing fingers and, and, and then turning to bragging about it couldn't be me. I would never fail him. And Jesus had to rebuke them. He said, now stop it.
And he turns to Peter at that point, And he says, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now, that's the part that we don't usually remember as being a part of this this last supper. Where Jesus says your faith is going to be tested. And I'm praying that your faith will not fail. Now, the very fact that Jesus said that implies very clearly that they're going to be driven to the point of the possibility of lesser people failing in their faith. Their faith is going to be brutally tested. And Jesus said, I'm praying you don't fail. When man puts God to the test... Man always finds God faithful. Can you agree with that? Have you tried him? Has he ever failed you? And when God puts man to the test, he finds out who is faithful. God never fails. We test him. He's good. But whenever God puts man to the test and man passes the test, that's the point. Whenever God says, well done, good and faithful servant, it's because you've been put to the test and you've passed the test. Can you imagine God saying, well done, good and faithful servant to somebody who never did anything? I mean, if you think that living for God means that you'll never have a trial... You'll never have to prove that your allegiance to him is stronger than anything that comes against you. That you're just going to sail through life and everything's going to be great. The road is going to be built before you and paved all the way. Everything's going to be nice. And when you get done, all you did was just basically coast into heaven and stand before God. And God's going to go, good job! See? The implication of him saying, well done, good and faithful servant, is you fought some battles and you won. When easily you could have quit, you didn't. He says, well done, because you persevered. Not just because you arrived alive. Not just because you took the express to get there. But because you... You really endured. That's what it means. Well done, good and faithful servant. So trials and testings actually form the arena where our faith dwells. It's like having body armor. What good is it to have body armor if you're not planning on using that and doing something with it? Just to stand it in the corner and make people think? That you're a great warrior? And your faith is the same way. What's the purpose of having faith if it's not something that you use in your battles to win and prevail? So the reason you have faith is because you're going to need it to carry you through. Now, I think I've established reasonably, if you're going to live for God, your faith is going to be tested. So I move to point number two. You're going to face many different kinds of trials in the testing of your faith. 
So my question is, is your commitment to serve God unconditional? You have to answer that. Is it unconditional? Or does it come with contingencies, escape clauses, provisos, and stipulations? In other words, is your declaration of faith, I'm going to serve God as long as life is good? Or is your declaration, I'm going to serve God no matter what? And I think that there are, there's a possibility. I would, I would hate to say, I would hate to think it's true, but I would say there's a possibility in this congregation this morning, there's somebody here that you're going to find out that your faith is only as strong as how comfortable and convenient your life for God is. And when it gets tough, somebody is going to be tempted to drop their faith. Somebody's going to be tempted to drop out of church, to quit their effort of trying to serve God and just say, I, I don't want this. I don't need this. This is not worth it. There's a possibility somebody here is going to do that. You're going to walk away because things got too tough. I have lived, I'm 59 years old, and I've, I've known nothing but church and Christianity all my life. So I've spent my entire life living for God. And I've faced as many battles as you have. Probably not the same kind of battles. But I have a determination in my heart that I just want to live for God. And it's not based on whether it's easy or not. It's not based on how many struggles are here compared to how good it looks over there. It's just a determination. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to live for Him. That's what I want you to have. I want you to have a determination that no matter what comes, I'm going to live for Him. So we go back to, to look at Job for just a, a minute. Because Job was tested in various ways to see if his faith would stand. You know, he was, his earthly goods were taken away. So he was tested to see if his possessions and his wealth was more important to him than his faith in God. I'll ask you the same question. Are your possessions more important to you than your faith in God? If your possessions were taken away, would you bid God goodbye? Job's children were taken away. He had ten children. What a tragedy to hear of the death of a child. Much less for somebody to come and say there's been a tragedy and all your children are gone. And he was tested to see if his faith was stronger and more important to him than his own family. And we start getting weak, don't we? Getting close to home. And his health was tested. As at one point, we find him suffering and sitting in the ashes and these excruciating boils... They were evidently exuding a very noxious uh, uh, odor and, and uh, oozing all over his body. He's sitting in the ashes and he can't find a position where he's not discomforted by the boils all over his body, the Bible says, on his head, on his feet, everywhere. How, how can you find a position? This man is suffering. And he takes a piece of broken pottery, and how pathetic this is, as he's sitting there, and he's actually scraping his body with this sharpened edge of broken pottery. 
and leaving a bloody trail as he goes. You think, what good is that doing? When you're suffering that hard, you just want to scrape the boils off. Anything. Even new pain is better than the pain you're feeling. And he's hoping he can break these boils open and maybe they'll heal. It's a pitiful, disgusting mess. And he's tested to see if his health was more important to him than his faith in God. Now, the question that we ask ourselves is this. Do you have a breaking point? I don't know if you know that. But you have to decide ahead of time whether you're planning on having a breaking point or not. You have to make the decision today, I will not break. I will not give up my faith no matter what comes against me. Are you serving God with contingencies? Are you just in this because you think God's going to do good things for you all the time? And if life is not good, well, you tried it, and it's not worth it, and you're going on. See, faith in God has to do with the finish line. It has to do with getting there to where you have finished, and you hear him say, well good, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what faith has to do with. I have to finish the race. I have to make it. I have to be accepted. That's what faith has to do with. So you're going to fight the battles all the way to get there. I've mentioned this book before, but most of the time I don't get a lot of people who say they've read it. How many have read Pilgrim's Progress? Raise your hand. See, that's a minority of people here. You need to read Pilgrim's Progress. Because Bunyan put this, this journey of the Christian leaving the evil town of Vanity Fair and going to the celestial city and passing through, uh, passing through the slow of despond and, and all these places that, that are temptations to him and the castle of doubt, I think it is. And uh, it's, it's just a, a picture of the life of a Christian trying to make the journey there. And you read it. And it's a very inspiring book. It's been called the second greatest book that's ever been written. Second only to the Holy Bible. You must read Pilgrim's Progress. You're the pilgrim. And you'll see in there the many trials that we face trying to get from where we started to where we want to end up before God. So do you serve God with contingencies? Are you willing to go to church and drop a little money in the offering plate and say a blessing over your meals as long as life seems tolerable? But when you maybe hit financial ruin this week, what are you going to do? I think you need to answer that question to yourself. Today, what do you plan to do if you hit financial ruin this week? Are you going to give up on God and blame Him? Say, well, God, I I started serving you because I thought you were going to watch out for me and bless me. But you hit a trial of your faith. What are you going to do? What if, what if you get fired and you can't find work? Are you going to quit God? What if you're on your next routine physical, the doctor says you have stage 4 cancer and you only have a few weeks to live? Are you going to blame God? Are you going to quit? Is that when you're going to decide your good health is more important to you than your faith in God? What if you're in an accident and somebody sues you for everything you have? Is that when you're going to say, I don't need this. I'm leaving God. I'm quitting. What if your dearest loved one dies? You going to quit God? 
You're going to get bitter and say, well, death's not fair, God. I wasn't done enjoying them. I quit. Is your faith in God based on whether or not you have to pass through the fire? Are you only willing to serve God in the good times? You have no use for Him if you have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's when you need Him the most. Why does, here's the question. Why does anyone turn away from their faith in God when the trials come? We know they do, and you probably know somebody. You know that years ago they used to be in church, and they don't go to church, and they don't want to talk about God, and they have walked away. You probably know somebody like that somewhere in your circle of friends, somewhere in your family. They walked away from God a long time ago. Why does anyone turn in against God when their faith is tested? I have an answer for you. The answer is because we have mistaken notions and faulty expectations of God. And when he doesn't live up to our expectations and our faulty notions of him, then we get mad at him. God, I thought you would do this. God didn't say he was going to do that. You thought he would. So we have this bad theology about God. We have these false expectations. We think that God is going to always come to the rescue every time we're in trouble and keep us from going through harsh trials. But I've told you before, and it's worth remembering, that whenever we come to trials, when we come to difficulties, when we come to testings, God delivers in three different ways. Sometimes He delivers you from. That means there are some trials in life you'll never have to face. And sometimes He delivers you out of. And that is when you're right in the middle of it, suddenly the circumstances just dissipate. The storm is gone. Peace be still. But sometimes He delivers you through them. You go all the way through it to the other side, like Job did. Wouldn't it have been good for Job if in the middle of all of this, when it's just the worst, he just wakes up one day and he's healed, and he starts life over, and his children are resurrected? Wouldn't it be nice? But he went all the way through it. But we have these concepts of God that either he's going to prevent us from having trouble or he's going to immediately rescue us out of any trouble we have. And he doesn't always do that. So because of these false notions about God, we get disappointed and we turn against him. We have these expectations and we blame God for failing to live up to our Homemade expectations. When a loved one is taken from us, people tend to blame God. I've done a lot of funerals in my life. I've seen the sorrow as we gather on funeral day and people mourn the passing of their loved one. I've seen some who just keep a stiff upper lip and they praise God and they thank Him and say God is good all the time. And I've seen other people that are hit so sideways by their loss that they cannot bring themselves to continue to serve God so bitter for their loss. 
And we pray, God, why didn't you intervene? God, why didn't you protect a child? Maybe a child is abducted and the parents question God along these lines. Lord, I thought you were watching out for us. Why would you allow my child to be taken? And that's a terrible, terrible thing to have to think of. But is that, is that the selling point? Is that the point at which you trade your faith? And say, that's more important to me than trusting God to the very end. Do you have that breaking point? We see gross injustices in this world. We blame God because He doesn't right every single wrong here on earth. And then people lose faith. And Job endured his losses. And the Scripture says, in none of those things did he place the charge against God. Number three, the result of tested faith. There's only two possible outcomes. Pass, fail. That's it. How many of you took a pass-fail course in college? No grade. No A's, B's, C's. You just pass, fail. You don't know how good you did. You just made it. That's the test of faith. It's pass, fail. We don't get before God and God says, I'm going to give you a D. But you didn't get an F, so come on in. You did it all right. It's pass, fail. Either you will abandon your faith or your faith is going to grow stronger. First of all, let me talk about failure. In 1936... Charles Templeton got saved, and he entered the ministry. He helped organize Youth for Christ International, and the first evangelist he hired was Billy Graham. Together, Templeton and Graham traveled across Europe holding crusades. By the early 1950s, Charles Templeton hosted his own religious television program on CBS. It's called Look Up and Live. But he began to struggle with doubt. And one day he looked at a magazine cover that pictured some starving children in a third world country. And he was so vulnerable at that moment because he was nursing his doubts. That when he saw that picture he could not get it out of his mind. And it was soon after that that he threw away his his faith. He gave it up. And he quit the ministry and he quit God. And he reasoned. Those starving children, that's not fair. If there's really a God in heaven, he wouldn't allow that to happen. See, that was the bad theology that he had. And in 1957, he left the faith and declared himself to be an agnostic. Then in 1995, just a very few years before he died, he wrote his final book, Farewell to God, My Reasons for Rejecting the Christian Faith. And for Templeton, it was nothing more than his inability to reconcile suffering in this world with the concept of a God who would allow such a thing. And his faith failed. And I can't think, I can't help but think of the words of Jesus looking at Peter and saying, you're going to be tried, and I'm praying for you right now that your faith does not fail. Now, that probably shook Peter up. Wouldn't you be shaken If I came to you today and I said, I'm praying for you this week. 
that you hold on, and no matter what happens to you, I'm praying that you don't lose your faith over this. You'd go home and sit up at night saying, what was he talking about? What does he know? That's going to be very unsettling for you. Just don't quit, no matter what. Don't give up. And Paul wrote these very sobering words. We don't know much about a man called Demas, except for his famous exodus from the ministry. And Paul wrote, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. That's it. The man who is famous for quitting. The man who gave up his faith. And his price was, it looks so much better over there than it does here. Obviously, if you're going to follow Paul around in ministry, there's going to be some hard times. Paul had a lot of hard times. And Demas is with him, and he's disillusioned. He's saying, I didn't sign on for this. This is rough. And he looked at the world, and it looked so attractive. It looked carefree. It looked comfortable. And finally one day he turns in his resignation to Paul and said, I I don't want to do this anymore. I didn't think it would involve this much commitment. For Demas it was the siren call of this world with its pleasures and amusements and its attractions and its comfort and ease. Compared to the rigors and the discipline and the hardships of serving God. And his faith failed. And that's why some people their faith fails because they get so tired of fighting their battles they think if I just quit serving God I can have some peace but this is about eternity this is about you've got to make it you've got to cross the finish line you've got to get there so that's faith that fails now here's faith that is perfected it's by the trial of our faith That we learn obedience. David said in his psalm, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I obey your word. So our trials teach us obedience. It's like a little smack upside the head. If we're going through our trials, we start thinking about what did I do to deserve this? Now I don't know that that's right or wrong for us to do that. But we do that, don't we? We start thinking, it must have been that nasty thought I had about my neighbor. And God is smacking me around. It must have been when my mouth got loose. It must have been, and you start thinking of all these things because you think God's up there just smacking us every time we get out. But you know, whenever we go through our trials, the afflictions teach us obedience to God. If there's anything I'm doing, Lord, that's bringing this upon me, I'm going to quit doing it. And that's the first thing we do to try to remedy the situation. David's not necessarily talking about going astray, willful rebellion, contemptuous behavior. He's more than likely talking about, I was getting careless. I was getting sloppy. I was getting negligent. And there is weakness of the flesh. But now that I'm going through these trials and I need God... I'm going to tighten up my life a little bit. You know what that's like, don't you, people? You're going through your struggles, you start pulling in the boundaries a little bit. Number two, the trial of our faith. 
leads us on the greatest path of self-discovery. When I go through trials, I learn things about myself I never knew before. It's like in the winter time. And you look at the trees, the, whether it's the beginning of the winter, the middle of the winter, the end of winter, the trees are missing all their leaves. And you see things in the trees you never knew were there in the good times. You can see nests up there, squirrels' nests, birds' nests. There's a lot of things that become apparent during that hard time. And at the right time of the season, Ann and I driving to church happened to know the favorite perching place of a few eagles. And we start looking for that time when they're sitting out there. And there's the eagles. One, maybe two, three. There's two more, four or five. They're sitting all in that same tree every year. And then when the leaves start coming out, no more eagles. Well, they might be sitting there. I don't know. I can't see. But whenever the hardness of life comes along, the winter of life, the trials of life, the struggles of life, I see things I could never see before. I learn things about myself. I, I, should, I should know myself because I want to know every detail of your life. I'm, I'm desperately curious about you. Come on, talk to me. Tell me the good and the bad and the ugly. I want to know it all. But if I want to know about you, shouldn't I want to know about me? So whenever I see these things in myself, I find out if I'm just as tough as I thought I was. I find out if I'm as compassionate and caring as I pretended to be. I find out if my strength in God is as good as I thought it was, if my commitment is there. I find out these things. I find out if I have character. I learn a lot about me. And I realign my values. And I renew my resolve. And sometimes we discover to our delight we're a lot tougher than we thought. If you're anything like me, you are dreading certain circumstances that might happen to your life. That could happen to your life. And you don't dwell on the thought long because it's kind of a fear that, Lord, I don't want to think about that. Heart disease runs in my family. My father had uh, heart disease. His brothers had heart disease. And uh, I'm heir apparent. And I saw how they suffered. And I'm thinking, you know, one of these days I'm probably going to have heart problems, heart attack, bypass rip the old chest open, and, and then I think, I don't want to think. This is not happy thoughts today. So I quit thinking about that. I don't want to think about what might happen. I want to pretend it doesn't exist. I know before my mother and my father died, once in a while, I would think, as life was going along good, just out of the blue, I would think, one of these days I'm going to get a phone call. And it might be in the business, busyness of the day. As everything is flowing along just fine, I get a phone call. Dad's gone. Mom's gone. Or it might be the middle of the night. And I get the horrible news. And I said, I don't want to think about that. I can't handle that. I don't know how I'm going to handle that when that happens. 
And then when it happened, I found out I was made of tougher stuff than I thought I was. I found out that the, that the strength and the peace of God was greater than I ever imagined it could be. The sustaining power of God, I never had any clue how big it was. And so in my trials, I discover things about myself, about my relationship with God that I never knew before. I knew of a minister out in California that he came down with a, a condition. I can't remember what the condition was, but it had taken him down, just a young man, but it had taken him down to the point of death. He was in the hospital and he was in critical care, critical condition. And he pulled through that and stood before the council meeting and he said, I learned things about myself and about God that I never knew and never could have learned any other way. What a time of revelation. Number three, the trial of our faith makes us a powerful witness for the Lord. When my faith is tried, I search for the testimony of others. I want to know there's somebody who's gone through what I'm going through. Don't you? Don't you want to find somebody who's been there, experienced that, and survived, and, and just pump them for all the information? How did you make it? What was it like? What did you face? What is yet ahead of me that I don't understand? So I search for these people. I search for the testimonies. I find strength in stories in the Bible. When I am going through the trials, I'm encouraged when I read the Scripture. I read of everything that Paul had to endure as an apostle. Apostles. I'm just a pastor. Apostles are way up here. They were the foundation of the church. They were the ones that they watched over the purity of the doctrine as people began to create things that they were believing in. The apostles. Paul was an apostle, born out of due season, yes. But he was one that was setting doctrine for the church. And when he went into a church, you know how you ought to treat an apostle? A dignitary, an important man, honor. They didn't treat him like that. As a matter of fact, some of them said, I'm not even sure you're an apostle. How are we supposed to know? Who are you? As a matter of fact, we've been thinking about it and we voted on it. We like Cephas better than you. We like Apollos better than you. They did not treat him like an apostle. If he came here, I'd give him the pulpit. Teach us. Show us things we don't know. But he wasn't so well received. This God-appointed apostle sent to lay foundational stones for the church. Mocked, ridiculed, belittled, beaten, scourged, driven out of town. And some churches didn't even want to accept his teaching as being authoritative. But he endured. And every trial made him stronger and wiser. And then I think, you know, if Paul can do it, I can do it. I'm strengthened by the testimony of the faith giants in Hebrews 11. I love that chapter. They were mocked, they were tortured, they were flogged, they were imprisoned. The Bible says they were sawn in two. I can't even imagine that. Skewered with a sword, 
forced into exile to wander in the deserts and in the mountains and hide in caves and burrow into holes in the ground just to hide and save themselves. But the writer of Hebrews says they were all commended for their faith. And I think if they can do it, I can too. I'm strengthened by the story of the three Hebrew children cast into the fire that there wasn't even the smell of smoke on them. That the king looks in and he says, did we not cast three men into the fire? I see four men. What is this other man? It's like the form of the Son of God. And they were all walking around in there. Not the smell of smoke upon them. And I read that. And I say, if they can do it, I can too. And I like the story of Daniel thrown into the lion's den. That God sent an angel to clothe closed the mouths of the lions that they did not destroy him and he did not lose his faith and I say if Daniel can do it I can too and so I want to pass the test I want to be a witness to others don't give up I want others to say of me if he can make it I can too because I know for every person that fails Somebody is going to fail because of you and with you. Isn't that sobering? For every person who fails, you have opened up the door for somebody else someday to walk away and to fail. One of the greatest things you can do in your Christian walk is simply don't quit. You may not excel. You may not be famous. You may not get your name in lights. You may not be written down in history for the things you did. But if you just don't fail, it's enough for God to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Number four, it's by the trial of our faith that we grow and we bear fruit. Now, faith is not faith until it is proven. Faith comes into its own only by the trials that we endure and the victories we win. Ann and I lived in California for several years. We made a trip to the coast a few times, saw the coastal redwoods, tallest trees in the world. Saw the sequoias in the Sequoia National Forest. And they aren't as tall as the coastal redwoods, but they're thicker trees. And there in the middle of the Sequoia National Forest is a tree called General Sherman. General Sherman is the biggest living thing on the face of the earth. Massive, massive tree. It's the diameter at the base and not right at the ground where the roots flare out, but about chest high. The diameter of the tree across there is 30 feet. It's over 74 feet around the tree. Huge. I felt like a Lilliputian standing out there. This tree stands over 271 feet high. Not the highest tree, but the biggest thing. By weight, by volume, the biggest living thing on the face of the earth. Not the oldest living thing, but it is thought to be about 2,500 years old. 2,000 to 2,500 years old. That means when Christ walked on the earth, it was a, a sapling. 
and it's endured all this time. And just to walk among the coastal redwoods or the giant sequoias is an ex experience that I will never forget. The interesting thing about these trees is I wanted a, a, a memento. So I reached down on the ground and I picked up a cone. Now, sugar pine trees, having lived out in California, I got to see all the different kinds of, of uh, pine cones, and they're interesting. The bull knows the sugar pine cone is long. Huge cone. The sequoia is about as big as your thumb. Little bitty tiny cone. This probably one of the smallest of all the conifer trees. So I picked it up, took it home. Isn't it amazing this huge tree comes from this tiny little cone? And so I was reading whatever material they had in this uh, sequoia forest. And the only way that these cones open up and their seeds pop out and they germinate and start another tree is the result of a forest fire. That's the catalyst. It doesn't just do it just every day, every week, every year. It's got to have a great fire come along. You're thinking, now, wait a minute. If you've got a great fire, doesn't it burn the tree down? No, the tree's got bark about six inches thick in places. And the tree is not damaged by the fire. But it's an intense fire, and the, and the limbs where the, the green leaves are up so high, it's usually higher than fire gets. So they survive fires, but the fires cause them to reproduce. And I thought, thank you very much. I've got a sermon illustration. Because it's the trials that you go through that cause you to multiply. That cause you to produce fruit. To be productive. So this thing about having faith and never being tried. You don't do anything. You don't accomplish anything. You don't, you don't develop anything. You don't produce. You have to go through trials. And your faith is designed to stand the test. It's just up to you not to give up. And my final point. Tested faith is more valuable than gold. Gold going at, well, I don't know what the latest price on gold. It was hovering around $1,700 an ounce last time I checked on that. Since I don't have any gold, I don't follow that too close. Just reminds me of how much I don't have. And Peter has the audacity to suggest that tested faith is better than gold. How many of you here today, I'm going to take another vote, have been through the trials and your faith has stood the test and you have tested, proven faith today? How many of you see that? It's better than gold. And Peter said, though the gold be tried in the fire, it's better than gold that perishes. Now I struggled with that. Because how does gold perish? You put it in the fire, it just gets all of the impurities out. It doesn't burn up. So as I researched that word, I began to understand they were not talking about gold that just literally rots or decays or burns up. They were talking about the value of gold. It just becomes worthless sometimes. 
It can become worthless. It's priceless today. It's worth so much because we have a limited supply and because people want it and they accept it as, as a monetary value. We can exchange gold with other countries. They accept that. But whenever we quit honoring gold, it's nothing but yellow metal. So you take a man that is in the desert, and he has, he's lost, he's got a long ways to get out, and you tell him, until you get out of this desert, you have a choice. You can have five gallons of water, or you can have a million dollars worth of gold. What is he going to choose? Gold is worthless sometimes. And Peter said, gold that perishes means you will get in the position where gold will mean nothing to you. If there's ever a food shortage in this world so severe that we, have abs- we cannot keep up with the demand and people are starving around the world, gold will be meaningless unless it can buy food. And if it can't buy food because people will not give up their food for gold because you can't eat it, your gold's worthless. If there's a water shortage and you can't buy water because people won't give up their water, gold's worthless. But Peter said, faith that has been tried never becomes worthless. It's of infinite, ongoing, priceless value. Tested faith will also earn you the highest commendation from God. Now, this is the last part of the verse that I read. Though it be tried with fire, it might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. That's the King James rendering, and it doesn't really explain the praise and the honor and the glory and whose praise and honor and glory that is and who's giving it and who's receiving it. Let me read from the New Living Translation. When your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise. It will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Let me read it from the message. When Jesus wraps this all up, it's your faith, not your gold, that God will have on display as evidence of his victory. So when I stand before God, God is never going to ask me the question, how much gold were you able to accumulate in your life? It's meaningless. But God is going to say, did your faith hold? Did you give up on me? Or did you hold on? So he doesn't care about your bank account. He doesn't care about your stash of gold coins. But he cares very much about whether you endured to the end. And if you endure to the end, when Jesus Christ appears, it says it's going to benefit you and bring you the highest praise and honor and glory from God. Well done, good and faithful servant. In other words, the highest honor that God will give you comes because you have given the highest honor to God. You didn't quit trusting Him. Don't quit.